Welcome to Ecobolic Radio, a listening experience dedicated to making the world stronger, one conversation at a time. Because strength is never a weakness. Welcome to Ecobolic Radio with your host, Derek Woodski. In today's episode, I sit down with co-founder and president of Sornex Exercise Equipment, Bert Sorn. Bert and I talk about the 20 years that have passed since we were collegiate rivals and what it takes to be extraordinary in an ever-increasing competitive market of strength and conditioning in human performance. All right, welcome to Ecobolic Radio, man. It's awesome to finally have you on the podcast. Man, this is super cool. I, I would, uh, I, I'd, I'd venture to say that probably there are volumes of good podcasts that are based on our uh, our phone calls, but we'll see what we can come up with this one. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. And, you know, it's funny because we've had a chance to talk a lot about the culture of strength and conditioning, especially the culture that Sornex is, is building. It's not only the culture that we believe in, but it's your family history. It's almost like Sornex has become the family crest. And for some of the people that aren't as familiar, um, that have been living under a rock for the last 12 months, especially what is, Sornex to you as a part of the blood of the company, but also somebody that's trying to build it as something that others can get a big handful of success from using. Right. Okay. Well, that's that's changed um, over the years. It's it's almost it started 1980. My dad basically building equipment um, because the the gear that was currently on the on the market in the late 70s and early 80s didn't have the safety, the adjustability, or just the quality that he was looking for. He's a big guy, he's strong, and just the gear wasn't good enough. There, there wasn't the, the there wasn't free weights that uh, had the quality at that time in the industry. So he was one of the early pioneers of, of really wanting to push the needle. So he wanted to just build stuff that was to his quality level uh, and share it with those around him. But there was more to that because he he'd always been uh, always been a lifter. And grew up in what we call the Iron Game, and had the, his heroes um, of the Bill Kazmiers and the Waddingtons and the Terry Todds and all those people, the, the Grimmicks, um, Shemanskys, all these guys growing up. Right. And so those are people he wanted to be involved with in life. And of course, every person wants to have relevancy. So Sornex as a business was a manifestation of his imagination, problem solving, and his cover charge in a way to be relevant in the industry that he loved, which was strength. Right. So it, it was kind of as simple as that. And by the way, it put a little bit of food on the table. Uh, and I, I mean a little food on the table in those early years. Um, so that was where it started, you know, after a while, um, and especially as someone, when I came on 20 years ago at 22, 23 years old, I viewed it, uh, in a, in a lot of the similar way because I was still competing and I, I viewed it as an ability to, to uh, be around strong people. And, and so it was the same kind of cover charge per se, but also I had to start building the business portion of it. So the dollars and cents and things like that came in and I got very, very focused. We were very focused on making the best tool out there, the best hardware for strength training. Um, that was a phase for a mm-hmm. long time. Right. And then I then we realized that it wasn't just the tool, the hardware tool, but it was the application of that tool to go along with it. So uh, it tr- started transforming into 
my view of Sornex became innovative training solutions versus high-end equipment. Right. So innovative training solutions, and I, that was where I was maybe in the last, uh, maybe up to two or three years ago. Uh, that was kind of the mindset. So it was still hardware and software based. Um, and then within the last few years, it's become more broad. Um, and it almost goes back to the original ethos. How do we become more relevant in the industry or lifestyle that we love, the iron game? Right. And, and instead of creating the greatest rack known to man or something along those lines as a goal, it's to inspire and, uh, and to help transform literal transformation, whether that be physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, whatever it may be. And so I see Sornex more of a, um, as a social experiment now than ever really a manufacturing company. Although our manufacturing is at an all time high, we right. build it right here in South Carolina. All the hardware is actually the highest, but the mindset actually is like a, is like a throwback to being relevant in people's lives that we could help those. And it just so happens to be that strength is the common denominator. We all, we all like muscles. We all like strength. And Oh, by the way, Let's make each other's lives way better. Oh, cool. You want to buy a rack? Well, that's neat too. How interesting is it like when you look at the history of how your company structure has changed that in the beginning, it was very much about the fundamentals of practical application and equipment. It was nuts and bolts, steel, getting things done. And then from there, like when you went through that phase of innovative training solutions, you went from taking the structure of a thing to being like, okay, we have a structure now. This is how we use it to maximize the success. From that phase, then you progress to basically the social experiment side or the evolution into the self. And it's almost like your company mimics the process that a weightlifter goes through or a person that, (laughs) you know, gets a hold of the weights. Like in the beginning, man, it is squares, pegs, and holes. It's Yes. There's nothing conceptual about it. There's nothing uh, philosophical about it in the beginning. You're just trying to plug away and make something the best that it could be. And then it starts to evolve. How did you know that it was evolving? Like how did you know you were going from steel to – something much more cultural. Well, that that's very, very insightful as you always are in our conversations. And it, and it has in a way um, mimicked my growth and my, my, um, and my father's maturation process through this, because yes, when I came on full time, I was training for the 2000 Olympic trials, right? My, my goal and my, it was very simple. Make the best equipment that produces the best result so you have the best chance of being the best person in the world at that sport. 100%. That was was the goal, right? So that was the goal through about 2005, which was, you know, I trained to, you know, much like yourself through the 2004 Olympic trials and then got into Highland Games. And so then it was still very result-based. Is this this the, the tool and the application? But I noticed in the late 2000s, the application... Uh, became the next thing because now now we have the results, but I, I realized the tool didn't only do it. You had to have the, the coaching behind it. And as I became trans, transitioned from being the athlete into a coaching role, as I started helping out some of the, the local throwers and the Highland games and people like that that would come in, and honestly, it was a lot of the stuff I was watching you do, uh, and, and really the industry itself to the mid-2000s became very educationally focused. 
Big time, um, big time. And so that was a part of, of art imitating life, life imitating art, things that I saw. And I go, wow, you know, people knowing how to squat and knowing how to clean and whether is more important than just having the tools to do it with. And that, so it really has just mimicked my transition and my growth mentally, physically, spiritually. And then as I got out of my, my Olympic dream and all the other Highland games and stuff like that competition days, then you have a chance to sit back in the quiet hours and go, what did I learn from that? Right. What was the mindset in, in you and I or Brandon or a, a number of other athletes that I've been fortunate enough to work with when you go out for a little bit of barbecue and a beer or two, you don't talk about hand positioning in a snatch pole. You right. talk about what was the mindset when you went for X, Y, and Z. What was the, what was the thing that brought you to that next level? What was the best coaching cue you ever heard? What was, that's just where it broadens. And you talk about the steel application I kind of laugh and go back to one of the you know best movies ever made was was Conan the Barbarian of course, of course. and the riddle of the riddle of steel right and at at 8 years old watching that movie I didn't understand it I just thought it was interesting that he got some chick to jump off of a cliff right and right. yeah right and then you and the older I get it's kind of funny literally just like the story of Conan he then understands the riddle of steel that it's not the the steel it's the hand that wields it Yep. And the person and what drives that person is always more important than the tool. So my early days, I was, I've gone through the riddle of steel. I thought that, you know, the quality of equipment and all the other stuff was the paramount thing. And if you didn't get it, you're an idiot. Right. Well, not really. Not really. Uh, I get it. You, you, well, you, you could squat on a shitty rack also. Yep. But it's what comes with that. What is, what, what drives you to, to, train harder or sacrifice or, or help others. And that's where the mindset is now. And it's because of people like yourself and the group that we've kind of assembled, um, that have been through the ringer, that riddle of steel is more, uh, it's easier to see through now. And it's, and this guy's mentors, like my dad, who's 67 years old. He has to look at training differently than he did at 15, 17, you know, 25, 35, whatever. He has to. It's a different thing. He, he gets the joy of watching others or watching one of our biggest mentors, Judd Logan. Yep. You sit down with that guy and you, you start putting the pieces together. So I know that's a long-winded explanation, well, but that's kind of where I'm at. But it, it's interesting because it brings up a thought that I have, and, and I think that this is an important thought when it comes to certain things in evolution. So when you're thinking about being able to transcend in, in myself, like – and we'll use the weight room as the example because that's the, the blood and life force of your family's company. But it, it can be a lot of different things. If you're trying to focus on things that become very in what my mind is intangibles, theory-based, conceptual stuff, you can't get to that place unless the base is really solid. And right. when you're, when you have to have the tangible assets, you have to, you, you know, you can't go a long way away from home unless you got a really strong home to come back to. Right. Um, and, and that's the adventurous side. That's, that's the, the young man that goes outside because he knows that he can always come home. So when I think of like the way that you're describing your company, it's like you put in those early years to make such a good product and to put in so much time that that product's not going to fucking fail. So right, you right. can start putting the energy into 
how to train, put the energy into the mindset of training because you know that that squat rack is not going to let you down. It doesn't even have to be a part of the equation of the psychology. It's there. 100%. And you're you're exactly right. Before it was the equipment, then it was how to train, and now it's more why to train. Right. And you're exactly right. You don't have to worry about the – the the, the uh, gravity is always going to work. You don't worry yeah. about your ground that you're standing on moving because it's been there for so long. You can start you start thinking past it. Yep. And it wasn't until we honestly got better at the business end of it that we were able to grow and even have a chance to do it. I, I talk about you know uh, about donations and about you know do, making a change in your in your community. You know, some people say that, you know, money is the root of all evil, blah, 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 rich people or whatever. Well, guess what? Rich people are the ones giving money away. Right. If you're if you're so concerned about money and in a subsistence level mindset because you have nothing to eat, it's really hard to be really good to those around you because you're worried about covering your own ass. 100%. And so we had to go through those times of like really making the business strong and doing the businessy stuff. So then you have the opportunity to reduce pressure back up and go, okay, now how can we make the world around us better? 100%. And I, I think a lot of people miss the boat on that when they're, they're looking so far into the future. Like they're, they're trying to get to the highest level of success that they can possibly have. And it doesn't matter what the, the avenue that that success is going to take, that they forget about the basics. They forget about fundamentals. They forget about right. building themselves. And people get really uncomfortable with this idea because in social media, uh, things are happening so quick and everybody's becoming like, uh, uh, yeah, okay, uh, not to be a dickhead to people listening, but it's like, listen, gratitude is great, but gratitude has to come after you have solidified yourself. And, right. Right. And, and so a right. lot of people are racing towards gratitude. They're racing towards the idea that I can't wait until I can be thankful. Yes, I I totally get that. I have a lot of gratitude for where I am in my life. But there was a lot of years where I had to fucking just turn inward and not just in sports, but in life. And I had to build this thing which could be good enough or have enough value that that value could then give to other people. And that's where the gratitude shows up. You are thankful for having something that others can can benefit from. Right. Right. Right, but you can't have that overage as your as your goal. It's like, oh well, I, you know, I want to be able to have this all this extra. No, you have to get down to the roots of things. Yeah. I, like I, I thought it was back. I remember just how stupid and whatever I was when I was a kid. And here, this is a, a telling story of just how immature and, and Hollywoodish. So you remember the old movie Sniper with Tom Berenger, right? Of course, he uh, filed his finger for sensitivity on the trigger. One hundred percent. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know if you and I have talked about this. So I I watched the movie and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so badass. That's amazing. So I literally was a discus thrower at the time. And I literally had a piece of sandpaper in my gym bag at 14 or 15 years old. And I would I would file down the sensitivity of my index finger and and middle finger so I could grip the discus better. (laughs) Now. (laughs) <laughs> Let's be real effing honest. I was 150 pounds at six feet one with about a 270 pound back squat, 
maybe a 300 something dead. And I was throwing the discus about 110 feet. (laughs) Did I need to be worried about the last little bit of, of revolution I was going to get on the discus because my finger was so locked in like Tom Berenger's with his, you know, with his Remington 700. I probably just needed to gain 50 pounds and get stronger. Yeah. Like it was it was that much of a, a misalignment of where I thought that I was in life and just a delusional, hey, I'm ringing out the last RPMs when I realized – later I realized I'm still in first gear. Right. It doesn't, anything would have worked. Eating 10 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches a day and deadlifting every day would have worked better than filing my damn finger down. 100%. And it's funny because I think we all go through those phases and and unfortunately, you know, for people <laughs> nowadays, they're going through it in front of the world. We got to go through mm-hmm. that ridiculous shit and no one ever knew. Right, right. right. I just remember my dad going, what are you doing? (laughs) I told him that he was, you know, here's the perfect example. He's 42, 43 years old. I'm telling him about this goofy shit I'm doing. And he goes, "Uh, you probably don't need to do that. And then he turns around and and straps up and and does uh, a snatch grip high pulse to the chest at 440, you know, (laughs) for sets of three as a 42-year-old man and just goes, whatever. And he just turns around and goes right back to his work that he'd been doing for 30 years at the time. Just put – And then I – yeah, put more weight on the bar, move it faster, go. And he was still dialed in on that as a considered – you know, old man at 42. And I'm thinking (sighs) I'm I'm dialed in here because I figured out the key to throwing like uh, Al Order was to file my damn finger down. Filed it – you know, and it's funny that you bring up Al Order. For people don't realize that Al's one of the most (sighs) decorated gold medalists in Olympic history. And other than maybe one Olympic Games, he was never expected to win. Not only was he never expected to win – he typically had a season PR to win the gold medal every time, even when he was injured. He had a lifetime best yes. at every Olympics and lifetime. never won the Olymp- never won the Olympic trials. All four of his gold medals were lifetime best and Olympic records. That is the probably the best example of a game day athlete that's ever walked the earth. That ever walked the earth. That and ever. he did it with multiple injuries, as you well know. He had a, yep. a herniated neck. He did it one time with a neck brace on, one time with uh, his ribs taped up because he had torn cartilage in torn his cartilage. ribs a few days before. You know, everything has worked against him. He was never the the favorite to win. He always won with a PR and every time was Olympic record. And it's it's funny because I remember it must have been a decade now or more ago, he was speaking at the Ironwood Clinic for track and field. And, sure. uh, and I walked in on it. I walked in on it a bit late, but I remember him telling two stories. And the two stories were this. And this goes completely against. <laughs> he filed his finger, and I knew I was right. <laughs> yeah. He's telling the story about Tom Berenger in the movie Sniper. So, <laughs> so we had all these guys sitting in the room that were like masters of Olympic lifting and masters of this and that put in all this time as discus throwers. And there's L. Order standing up in front of all these athletes and, and elite level coaches. And his quote was, I used to do strict barbell curls with 220 because when you can curl 220, that's meters, not feet. <laughs> I love it. And see, you know, he, see, he wrote me a letter when I was in high school. Yep. Uh, I wrote him a letter and he actually wrote back. And he told me the same thing. And his thing was he would cheat curl. He goes, the key was cheat curls. Go heavy and cheat like hell. Yes. And it sounds stupid, 
but then you look back and you go, he was cheat curling. He told me three three fifteen plus for reps for sure. And then you go, and then you go. Well, if you think about it, it's really just a clean with different hand position. It's all it is. Everybody wants. It's all it is. Yeah, uh, you know, for the majority. Let, let's cut the shit. The majority <laughs> of meatheads that are throwing the discus are doing a really ugly reverse curl. You got it. Right. They're, and so what if we just put our arms in a better anatomical position and do the same big old nasty hip swing? And I'll be honest, when I was throwing Highland games, that was my one of my exercises. I'd go yep. I'd go heavy cheat curls and I worked up to about two eighty five, two ninety, yep, and weighing weighing two fifty. And guess what? The implements didn't feel that heavy and I was able to just to put some nasty stink on them. Yep. And just pull out of weird positions because I was strong. Yeah, strong is strong, right? And, you know, it's funny because then you look at L Order and you look at the progression of, of what we're talking about to the more conceptual theory side of the psychology needed to win. And the second story that he told in that same vein of conversation, he was talking about walking into the Olympic Stadium for the Olympic Games. So, you know, they're going into the final. And at the time, sure. a guy by the name of Dr. L.J. Sylvester from Utah was the best thrower in the world. Absolutely. So, Sat beside him at uh, 2004 Olympic trials. He's a fascinating guy. So Dr. Sylvester, sure uh, a BYU guy, um, yep. he was the first man in history. And, and this is an interesting one. He was the very first man in history to throw 60 meters. And then yep. he was the first man in history to throw 70. So he wow. he was the guy. Like the LJ, guy. L.J. Sylvester basically created modern discus throwing as as far as we think of it now he was uh for sure if he's the farthest thrower to ever walk on the planet should have won the olympics but he didn't and he he didn't because lj's a tall uh tall tall gentleman but he sort of lopes along with his head down he's one of those guys right like very cerebral and l order was talking about winning an olympic gold one time and this is what he said his mindset, he was walking behind LJ. Now, you got to understand, they're both Americans. They're both on the same team. They're probably buddies on some level, okay? Sure. But at, at the Olympics, only one guy's a gold medalist. So he's walking behind LJ, and he said that LJ's walking along and didn't see a low-hanging beam coming that you had to go under to get out of the stadium. And LJ took that beam right across the forehead. Right, <laughs> and and L order said L J stumbles and hits the ground. L order literally stepped over his body and said <laughs> and made this statement. That's one, and that was uh, his, uh. that's that he said that was his mindset. Just keep stepping over the bodies. That's one. Wow. That's two. That's three. Wow. It's like I'll feel bad about you, L J later. But you really should have watched out for that beam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Right? That's I your problem, it. not my problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably keep keep your head up. It, yeah. That's amazing. And it's actually funny. I read another quote of, that LJ uh, said about Al Order. And, and, you know, they asked him about, they said, when you're competing against Al Order, specifically at the Olympics, you can never, you can, what do we say? You can never expect to win. You could just hope. Wow. Right, right, great. And, and, but but that, in but that what a that what a mind f that he got to the point where everyone just goes, he's we know he's going to do it. It's just going to be what round? What round? Absolutely. And and then you think about then that was what the say I think it what was he seventy 
two was maybe his last Olympics, and I then he so. sat out for a while, and then I think he came back in in eighty. Didn't he got fourth of the Olympic trials in eighty at like thirty forty years old? Didn't make the team, but that, that was the year that the the uh, Moscow boycott. Boycott, yeah. And, and and he, I read an article, and they said, and they go, well, what do you think about not making the team? He goes, there wasn't a real Olympics on the line. He goes, if it was, I would have made the team. Right. At forty, he goes, it didn't matter. He yeah. goes, I was fourth. He goes, I would have been third at least if if it mattered. And at forty four, four years later, he throws his lifetime best, two twenty seven. <sighs> <laughs> right makes you feel like a dumbass it's just like i suck i suck so bad right and, and, and it still goes back to the fact that chi curls add meters not feet right <laughs> yeah, like, yeah like the mindset yeah. is, the mindset is strong the mindset is just be stronger and better than everybody else and and for people to have perspective of that what you have to understand is that would be like the entire offensive or defensive line from a football team in their mind watching the other team and becoming spectators of their own game instead of competitors right when you right. have that type of power over your sure. competition you're unbelievable yeah you're transcending sport because you're making people yes. believe that you are becoming very much a mythical example of a human being Right. Like, it's it's like it's like swimming against Michael Phelps. People basically saying I was I was a uh, I was honored to share the pool with him. Right. Well, well, at that point, you're 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 an Olympic tourist. You're not even going for a medal or the God knows not the gold. You're just honored to share the water with the greatest. What happened? How many, how many people in that pool felt that way? And was Michael Phelps sitting there going, there's one, there's two. There's yep. three. I only got to worry about that one guy on my right because he's the only one with the balls enough to think he might be able to beat me. 100%. And, you know, in today's day and age, they take someone like Phelps and they make a meme out of him because he was mean mugging the pool and he was right, he, he's right. looking aggressive and looking this. And it's like, that's that's the difference. You're, you're talking right. about a guy that has done it all and he still absolutely needs to do more. Yes. Right, he needs to keep clawing. He needs to solidify his record, and that brings me up to a, an interesting point because, like, when I think of that, when I think of what I see a guy like Michael Phelps, or the fact that you know, God rest his soul, El Order has left us with his legacy to still talk about. When you look at your company, that's inevitably the transition about becoming a legacy, not just a product. And right. with that process, we, we could only hope that's that right. a hard one to honestly grasp. But but I hope that whatever we do has a longer impact by far. I hope the impact psychologically and socially outlasts the racks. And I think those are going to last a long time. And that's exactly what I was just thinking. It's like, what are you thinking in your mindset? Like, what is the conceptual mindset of Sornex and your family and your personal touch to the business where you're like, how do I produce something that's going to affect? Because things all fade, buildings all fall, of course. things all disappear. But the legacy of something is the verbal story that's passed. The Bible's been around right. a long time for a reason. So when you think of like what you're trying to do now with the company, because the base is there, that squat right. rack is not going to fail. What are you doing with right. the company now to, to get people to be 
storytellers of, of the brand? Well, it, it's again, all seeing Derek Woodsky, you get it, you see it. Um, I think a few years ago, and partly there have been conversations that you and I have had, and, and I've realized that one of my blessings, one of my gifts, superpowers, whatever you want to call it, um, I could see I could see greatness in people, um, even if they don't see it, or it's maybe clouded with past, or or, or just something maybe off, or, or whatever it may be. I tr- I tend to track weirdos. Right. That are extraordinary um, and not only attract them, but I'm attracted to them. Right. And I, what I've kind of learned to leverage is is the tangible part of the business and to use that as the cover charge to get those people together. Um, and maybe if I can't specifically help them, maybe – and I don't mean help like – uh, although there have been some folks that they're in our community that, you know, have contemplated and it's even attempted suicide and right. thankfully they didn't do it. And, and so like that, in my opinion, and, and, I, and I won't go into details, but I've had some, some emails and texts that will bring you to your knees. And when people tell you things that, uh, and I know you've had some of those as well, yep. you shared at the symposium and those are the it, uh, people that their lives are changed. I had someone send me a picture of their wife and kids. And this was this week. And they said, these people all thank you for what you and your community did because I wouldn't be here anymore. Holy crap. Heavy, right? Like heavy, heavy as it gets, heavy as it gets, you know? And I, and I I don't know how to respond. Right. I I don't, because I don't believe that like I'm that cool nor, nor deserve or, or whatever, but I know what we have going within the community is something powerful. Yep. So that's where I see that, okay, as long as those people could still help each other transition and get better and hold each other accountable for transition and, and just be better, yep. um, that's what I see. If Sornex goes out of business tomorrow, I still see the ripple effects of what we're doing right now in generations to come. Because I've seen people transform that now they're being better fathers, mothers, friends, and that that whatever that is is going to go into their kids. Hopefully, they're going to pass that down. Hopefully, and again, the origin of it isn't Sornex or Bert Sorn or anything like that. Right. It just happens to be the group of of people that is ever growing in not only quantity and quality, and that's what I'm most interested in. You know, and I was someone was asking me the other day. They're like, well, you know what's your favorite thing that you have? And you know, there was a period of my life where I've been like, Hey, this, you know, shotgun that my granddad left me or something like, you know, something that you would say, okay, has some significance behind it. Right. Uh, not only intrinsic, but actual value, like monetary value. Yep. And, and I said, you know, really, I, although I'm a gear guy, I can't really think of anything that I physically own now. Yep. I can't even think of this stuff. I, you know, I, I guess if I really sat there and thought like, okay, yeah, my, 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 my great granddad's bracelet that he gave me that I carry his name and he left me that I, that I only, you know, met, he died when I was two, right? you know, like that kind of stuff. Like, okay, that would be, but more I keep thinking is uh, what I'm most happy about or would want to keep is if the relationships that we built and hopefully the relevance going back to relevance within the community Hopefully what 
what footprints and fingerprints we were able to leave on each other's lives that helps amazing people that just so happen to have that extraordinary ability for them to go out and live their life even more turned up to 11 that could change others. So I love seeing the, the folks that are already influencers that have that ability to grow because then they can make all those around them grow more. And and that's where the mindset and that's where I think everything that Sornex is about, that's where I'm looking at it. And that's where I think that, that our legacy can be left. And if looking at a rack that's in your garage or whatever makes you think of, you see a Sornex rack and you go, oh, wow, I've been to three Summer Strongs and I had this experience with this person when I was there and that made me better because of this. And if that little rack with that little sticker on it makes you think of that and holds you accountable one more second further right. or longer to go after your dream and to be a better person, then that rack is doing what it needs to do versus just hold a bar off the ground. 100%. And, and that brings up a thought that I always have. And and I've always been curious to get your, your take on this. And you come from a family where your your father found strength at a very young age. Like he, he was mm-hmm. just drawn to the to the concept of strength. Now, we know in our culture that strength, physical prowess and physical strength and, and the idea of Milo and the bull, we know that sure. it's been a part of human culture for as long as we've probably been documenting it. Um, Correct. You know, so when we think of the the need to carry or burden the load, we know that it very right. much is a part of human nature. How, when did you see, or, you know, are you seeing it now, but when did you see the, the physical manifestation of strength, which we think of as nuts and bolts, getting into the squat rack, right. training, blah, blah, blah. When did you see Sornex start to transcend from the fact that it went from being the nuts and bolts getting in the rack to this, basically the realization that the company is representing the need to burden the load and not only burden it, but surround yourself with people that are also drawn to the need to burden the load for the sake of whatever society, for the sake of each other. But the one thing before I let you answer is, Summer Strong, to me, the people that are coming are not just people that are into barbells and dumbbells. A lot of the people, well, there's a couple type of people I see there. One, people that are making the transition from wanting to exercise to the actual learning about it because they're, they're seekers of information. And the other big group that is there are in probably the biggest group. They are literally people that within their society, within their culture, and, and this even includes the people that have struggled with suicide and struggle with drugs and depression. There are people that somewhere along the way, they felt the overwhelming desire that they had to be the ones that burdened the load. Right. Right. And that's different with your guys' group of people and company than a lot of other companies. There's a, there, there's a culture of dependability, not just – not only is the fucking equipment dependable, the people, the people are physical representations of dependability, even at a burden right. or cost to themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird. It's interesting that you use the burden, uh, you know, uh, vernacular. And I think a part of it is a process of letting go of your personal burdens Yep. and being okay to have the group pick them all up together and carry them. 
Right. And I think that's one of the biggest things that when you're carrying your own poison, your own burden, it's, it's too much, but just like, uh, you know, to, to take a visualization from like the, the seal teams and buds when they all carry the boat together, right. You know, maybe one guy isn't strong enough to carry, you know, they all have little different, you know, strength levels, but they could always carry the log or the boat together. And I think that's the, that's the key to it all. I mean, and this doesn't, this isn't obviously unique to Sornex or anything. It's a, it's a group therapy to an extent, but it's also, it's realizing that your, your specific burden is generally not unique, nor is it too much to carry if you have people around you that are willing to carry each other's burdens. And strangely enough, it's not like, okay, you have five people's burdens divided among five people is still the same burden they were carrying before. So why the heck to do it? Right. What you realize that if it's five people's burdens and there's five people, once you air it all out and you put it in a big pile, some of them start canceling each other out and you go, well, your burden is my burden too. So really now we're only having to carry half of it together. And then it's five people carrying two or three burdens. Now all of a sudden it's manageable Yep. and, and you can, start working through it because there's there's um there's support and there's accountability and then things kind of fade away that when you thought this was such a big deal and you go oh wow well derek's going through the same thing or brandon or rudy or whoever right um and then all of a sudden and and i've talked about before like reaching out when when you lay your shit on the table and stop being so self-absorbed with it and 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 one one thing I, i talked about is you know one of my uh moves or and it was really self-preservation it wasn't even i hate to say it wasn't even to start to to be for other people um it was like a life hack all of a sudden so like if i get super super stressed for one reason or another some of it's needed some of it's just i'm a weirdo sure and you know you let your head take away with you and then so like my way to short circuit that system was to immediately think of three people two three four whatever uh, people that were probably more stressed than I am based on what I know about their situation, whether it be financially, family, health, whatever, just friends of mine and immediately either send a text or call and find out what's going on with their life is what I found is it was a really fast way to short circuit the system, take pressure and take the mindset off of what my life was doing, minimized my stress, my self-centeredness, help someone else. And then I realized a lot of times that person's going through much more than I am. So what am I going to sit here like a pussy and be worried about this when this person's wife is, uh, you know, super sick or whatever. And I'm going, Oh wow, I didn't make a meeting today and I can't drive to X, Y, and Z tomorrow because I have to just dumb crap. Yep. Um, and so it, it became a, um, a self-medicating thing for me, but also it helped to grow our community because now we're reaching out to one another and being transparent and, Going back to your one of your questions, when did that start changing? Um, I'll say from a summer strong standpoint, and summer strong seems to be a lot sometimes the thermostat, but also seems to be the litmus of what's going on within the company. Right. Um, and I'll say a tr- a big transition happened at Summer Strong Seven, and 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 I, you know I don't want to go too deeply into it, but we had it was Brandon Lilly, he came in. And he self-proclaimed, he's like, I knew I was the biggest, strongest dude there. I had the most followers and no one could touch me on the platform. And I knew everyone was there to see me. Right. And he was an asshole. Yep. I mean, he was, and he and I have talked about it. Yep. And he goes, but I walked in the room and I met 
uh, Jeff Nichols, you know, seal. I met, uh, Adam Nelson, um, you know, Olympic champion. I met, and he goes down the list and he goes, and I sat down and I started putting my, um, accolades in a column beside theirs. And I realized at that point I was a low man on the totem pole in the room and I should probably just leave. Interesting. And super interesting, right? Like even I'm, I commend him so much for even having that much insight when he was so high on himself. Right. Uh, and it's, and that was the a beginning of the change. Well, fast forward a year later, he'd already had his big fall in the squat, everything. And, <clears throat> And uh, showed up with his leg all – he had a pick in his arm. Leg was all blown out. Yep. You know, and he told me, he said a couple of days before they were talking about taking his leg because um, it was so screwed up. And you know, we had a long conversation in the hospital about some of this type of stuff. And uh, he showed up to Summerstrong and, and he, he was a different person when he walked in. Right. And he was humbled. He was obviously torn up. And he, and he walked up and he said, hey, I'm going to talk about deadlift today. And everyone was like – yeah, that's what they thought. They, and that's what he was tied into. He was like, I was going to talk about that. F that. I'm not talking about it. I'm going to talk about some real shit. And he pulled up a chair and he sat down and he opened up his heart in front of 500 people for a solid hour. Right. And there were people in the audience crying. There were people in the audience that didn't know what to do. There were people in the audience that thought they were going to show up to a sweet de- deadlift seminar and didn't, they didn't know to shit or go blind. Right. And, but it was interesting because at that moment I saw I saw the change in what Summerstrong could be. Yep. And interestingly enough, that year the speakers themselves adjusted because they were so inspired by the transparency, the clarity, and the humility of Brandon that literally people started off their own presentations that were PowerPoints dialed in, and they would give a 10-minute – they would open up about themselves, completely unscripted improv. Yep. yep. And when Joe Connolly did it, everyone went, wow. And then the next person did it, and people went, wow. And, but the cool part was is when the, the speaker did it, they weren't, they weren't met with, oh, you're a pussy, bro. You're not with it. Yep. It was, wow, hey, I've been there too. And I saw this thing happen across the room over three days. Everyone's dro- uh, their guard started dropping. Everyone's posturing started changing. Right. And by the end of the weekend, it was a different thing that happened. And that was, in my opinion, the start of what happened, what Summerstrong has, has happened. And it's really a thing that the people are driving it. The, the people who show up, they're the ones that climatize what it is. I, I try to put together the right recipe, but it's still, I'm there for the show as well. You and know, that was what happened. And I think that trans, that backwashed into Sornex. And it was already kind of some of the, 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 the voyage I was on and some people around mine, my world. And that's part of one of the major pieces of transformation. And as somebody that had stepped into that transformation, you know, I can definitely attest to it having spoke for you guys in the last couple of years and had it been such a big influence on my, my own life, even as somebody that had spoken a little bit, it's a different environment. And the thing that... I best relate it to when I think of summer strong or what I think what's happening from my perspective is we look at the industry of strength and conditioning sports performance. We know that at the fundamental level, it's a lot of people that are trying to outposture each other. They're trying to be For the sure. biggest, the strongest. They're trying to be the number one. They're trying to get into that gold medal position. The problem with that is, is people often forget 
that the physical aspect of strength and conditioning, getting under a bar, getting under a squat rack, that is purely a side effect of the strength yes. of the mind, right? 100%. And, and, and all the strength work is doing is, is training you to be able to deal with, I mean, getting under a big squat that should kill you and figuring out how to, to crank out extra reps. All it is, is mental training for when you have to deal with real hard crap in your life. Real, it's not about making your legs bigger. 100%. And I think a lot of people that get heavy into the iron sport, even if it's in their basement or their garage, um, or they have a, a gym membership, they eventually will transcend sets and reps. They will transcend yes. the nuts and bolts. And they will get to a point where hopefully the weight room is allowing them the strength to get through a bunch of other stuff. Right. And, and I think when I, when I look at the group that, you know, and it's a big group that comes at the Sornex and it's, it's a diverse group that come to summer strong, you know, uh, one of the, I've had two of the greatest compliments of my life for my time at summer strong as a presenter. One was from Christmas Abbott. One was from Gunnar Peterson. And, I'd love to hear those. What were they? I mean, those, those are, those are two people that uh, don't give away free compliments and they certainly are worthy of their own accolades. Well, funny that you say that. So, you know, you, you know me better than 99%. So I have a tendency to be a little awkward and a little shy, especially around people. <laughs> funky town. Funky, whatever. Yeah. Funky town. Or around people that I haven't got to, to really get to know. And, and, and I have a bit of a, a eccentric side and, and I own it. I'm fully aware. It's also the thing that makes me able to tell a story off the cuff for an hour, but it, it makes, it makes me a little quirky. So when I was at summer strong nine, you know, I, we can't deny the fact that Christmas Abbott is a rather attractive young lady. And, She's yes. yeah, right. It, like I'm not, I'm no fool. No so question. no question. I got eyeballs. I got <laughs> you eyeballs. Have eyes. I got eyes in my head. So I see Christmas and, and she spoke and I listened to her presentation. Of course I sat at the back of the room cause I didn't want to make her uncomfortable. And <laughs> creeper <laughs> creeper and so uh and so that was it we hadn't really interacted and then i spoke it was my first ever summer strong i'm walking through the weight room at south carolina because it was before the new facility and i can see her staring at me and she's there with her dog fran and so i'm like oh she's she's in my road like that's what i'm thinking she's in my road and i need to go straight like i have fucking autism or something so so <laughs> so so i'm walking towards her and i'm making eye contact and she's making eye contact and i'm like ah this is oh, okay so i shifted to the right she shifts to the right actually her left right so she shifts and i'm like what is she doing then i go to the left she shifts again and goes, it cuts off my path. So now, you know, I'm actually starting to get instantaneous back sweat, right? So, uh, <laughs> so I'm like looking at her and, and I'm like, hello. And she's like, I'm actually trying to stop you. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I realize that I'm trying to go around you, right? So, so, so like, uh, and she and she reaches out her hand and uh, she goes, "I'm Christmas Abbott." You know, I listened to your presentation, and she said, "Not only was it a presentation that had a huge impact on me as a listener, but you have something that needs to be heard by more people." And at the time, I'm like, "Holy shit!" I'm like, "What a compliment!" Like, wow. I was, I didn't know how to respond. I was so blown away. Like two hours later, 
I get a notification on something that I was still trying to figure out myself on Instagram that Christmas Abbott had taken something I'd written and something that I'd put my creative energy into and posted it on her personal social media as a way of being like, this person had an effect on me as a person and I'm going to share it, right? And I, wow. man, I didn't know what to say. And even to this day, if Christmas is listening, you know, uh, when I get a text from her, I'm always excited because it's like this person really reconfirmed to me that just being open and honest and just like, like get through the bullshit. Don't carry any, uh, any, uh, secrets with you when you, you get up there actually is what people need to hear. And, yes. and the same thing happened in 2010. So, uh, or sorry, uh, at Summer Strong 10, when after I finished speaking, you know, and I know I'd given a, a decent presentation. I'd stressed about it a lot. I stressed about what I wanted to speak about last year because I really wanted to try to relay a strong message to people that, you know, like I always say, it's like, the most valuable thing a person can give you is their time because it's the only thing we don't get back. So if somebody yeah. is going to give me an hour of their time or 45 minutes of their time to speak to them, you can't thank them enough for that. So make sure yes. that it, it's worth worth their time as well as yours. And I was sitting after the presentation and I got a notification on my phone from Gunner and all it said was, fantastic presentation. Thank God we didn't have to follow you. Oh, wow. I saved it. I still got it, right? <laughs> that's like, awesome. And, and that's when I realized how different the culture um, was becoming. And, it, and, right. and I was in this. Because you were talking about two superstars that super get paid stars. a lot of money to mention anything about anyone or – or, or give a second glance to anything. And they, and they don't have to because they have their own brand so strong. 100%. So you take someone like Christmas who I can only assume gets inundated with offers every day. Hey, if you post this on your social media, we will pay you, right? I right. assume. I mean, that's not, you know. It's mag- probably very accurate. Very accurate. It's probably not magical information here. And the fact that she took enough value out of my honesty to put it up for me right. means that it was valuable to her as a person. Yes. And that yes. is the difference that I feel like Sornex is than many, many other companies within the strength and conditioning sports performance world. Because you're creating value in the process, not just the application. Right. If that right. makes sense. And, and, I'll, it, and it makes 100% sense. It was – it is now intentional, but to be honest, it was it was a, a natural maturation and somewhat stumbling into it ass backwards. Now, do you think you stumbled into it ass backwards because you yourself were going through that process? Yes. I believe that was a, that was a part of it. Um I, again, I think there was, you know, having, having, uh, you know, I mean, Summer Strong Seven, Jeff Nichols, you know, he was the knockout punch guy. No one had ever heard him. And he came up and delivered uh, a, an amazing content that was um, unheard before. And I yep. think that set the tone. Uh, we, maybe you may, may or may not waterboarded some people later that evening. So that was a little bit different <laughs> as well. But then, at, you know, that set up a cascading effect 
uh, in that room of the Adam Nelson, you know, and all these guys with Brandon and, you know, had Brandon not fallen, I don't know. Maybe his change wouldn't have been as evident. And thus, you know, and he and I talk, I, I feel that, you know, his voyage, because he has a large voice, Yep. is changing lives where maybe someone someone else just because of simple branding and uh, notoriety they might have they might not have the same voice just that's just how it is yep. you know that that's just how it is i can totally and appreciate at, that right exactly yeah. or you look at you know someone like uh you know like a zach brown who's who's making some amazingly awesome changes in his life and and, and has always been doing amazing things for people that guy's one of the most uh, most genuine and and giving people I've ever been around. Right. But but if he had a hundred followers and no one knew who he was, his impact on the world would be much less. And right. the cool part is, is when you see people that have that that power and they use it for good. Those are the those are the people that I can't do enough for because they're using their power to help those around and literally make the world a better place. Right. And that's what inspires me, but also drives me to, to try to help, to try to uh, whatever I could do. And, and then I end up somehow on uh, I've, what I've noticed is I end up somehow being on the same bus. <laughs> you know, it just keeps happening where I look around and go, wow, this is kind of interesting. Didn't really see that one coming, but okay. You make a really good point because I think this could be a valuable lesson to those that are listening. Like there's a lot of people that are trying to figure out how to get to the next level or how to social network better or how to get their voice heard by people of influence. And over the last few years, you've been, you know, as we say, your business has been a success in 30 short years. But at the same time, you are, for lack of a better word, climbing up the ladder of interaction, but not at the sake of quality of person. So you are you are surrounding yourself with more and more extraordinary people, but you yourself are not losing any of your extraordinary qualities. That's why it's happening. How do you manage that? And how can you give that advice to people? Like in some of it's intrinsic, like we have to say what it is like some, you have a personality that's unique to you, but what are some things that people can do to make their value higher for others that they're trying to influence or be influenced by Great question. Great question. And I, and talking about transformation, we were talking about earlier, you know, one of the first steps of transformation is, is an honest, um, inventory of who you are and what you're about and what your values and what your, what your deliverables actually are. So to not, you know, sit there and smell your own farts and think that, you know, you're so great, but go, okay, this, these are things that I have seen in the past. I'm able to make someone's life better with. And it, and it's all boils down to what is your, what is your value to the world? What, what can Derek Woodski do that he could do better than most other people? Well, there's your intrinsic value. So just figuring out what that is and what your gifts are and gifts are not to be used for yourself. Gifts are to be used for others. So if you could figure out kind of what your value is, what you could give to people and, If you want to act locally, it's very easy. Give those gifts to those around you, that maybe you know, around you in your your hometown and, and your family and friends and all that. That's great. There's nothing wrong with it by any means. 
But if you want to make a, a big difference, I've found you have to be able to give those gifts and value to those much larger than you from a social or, or at least a, an exposure standpoint and give them your ammunition and right. say, here's something I'm really good at. And you test it to see, does that make their life better? And if it does, they, you give them full access to your cache of ammunition and go use this as you see needed, because I've, I've, I've hung out with you. You passed a smell test of not only do you have 2 million followers, but it's a real deal thing. And I see, and I see the reason why you're doing it and I'm down with that and whatever I could do to help. And it's never about, I'm going to get in with this guy because he knows a lot of people. I'm going to hang out at this party because of whatever it's, it's always, how do I keep showing that other person value? How do I make their life more extraordinary? And if, and if, it's it's pretty easy to find out. It, are you really doing it? Well, right. the question is: Do they call you back? Right, <laughs> you know? right, yeah, do yeah. They, do, they, do they pay you or want to pay you for your service or pay you in their time? If you think that you're a great trainer and no one pays you for your training, you're not a great trainer, or yep. you're a really shitty marketer. But one hundred. But you have to you have yep. to be able to swallow one of the two is the case. Yep, and. You know, it's a litmus. You have to you have to have emotional quotient and be able to watch those around you. How do they respond to the um, example that you set? How do they respond to the suggestions that you make? How do they respond to the the invitations that you give? Right. And if they basically shun you, well, then you have to go back and say, "Is my system broken?" Sometimes you have to say, "Is their system broken?" Maybe they yep. just don't get it. That horse, yep. you let him to water, he didn't drink. That's okay. He doesn't get it. But you better be damn sure that they that that's them and not you, right? Because if you if you if you're selling your your wares or your value to ten very very successful people that have a good spidey sense and no one wants to buy, eh, maybe time to rethink what you're doing. And maybe that's the catalyst for for transition and transformation. And, and so that's what I've found is just the more I sharpen my sword, not to get anything, but to give more, the blessings come back in a form of friendships, experiences, uh, and whatever other tangible things you want. They come back so much that I literally, you, you can't even keep up with them all. Right. And it's weird and it sounds biblical and it is a biblical principle, but yep. it sounds just like, yeah, no way. You have more than you could. I have more like good stuff in my life than I could even keep up with. And I'm not bragging. I'm just I'm trying to offer some experiential, uh, 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 you know, a direction and say it's real. It really actually happens. I'm, I'm not blowing bullshit. And, I'm, yep. and if you and if you don't believe me, take the Pepsi challenge. Come hang out for a week. That, it, you know, that's you, exactly it. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's my thought on it. I love to hear your insight because you usually say it much more, much better than I will. <laughs> well, odd that you say that. Let me articulate my thoughts. The uh, <laughs> put it into the Derek whiskey machine. Let's put it in make the Bert machine. Sound, make Bert sound smart. Go. Let's spit out some stuff. Well, and I, and I think that what you're hitting on it just keeps reiterating the point that you have to give an honest inventory of your strength identification. You have to look at what you're good at, understand what you're bad at. If what you're bad at is something that you want to get better at, then just like the weight room, you got to strengthen that shit and you got to fix it. But there's there's a caveat to that. There are a lot of people 
because the thing that they're bad at is really popular and they continue to right. right they pursue the bad for the sake of their strength because the bad is what they want to be recognized for and because of it they get into this down, downward spiral where they're continuously repeating bad habits bad mindsets bad concepts because they want to be recognized for what they're not good at instead of maximizing that one niche intrinsic value that they are one in a million at and right and that's a really important thing that when I talk to people, I, I really want them to understand. I'll give myself as an example. Uh, Kim Wise, who now has another last name, but Kim Wise told me to do a podcast 11 years ago, at fucking least 11 years ago. <laughs> like, she was so far... Because eight years ago, I even learned what a podcast was. So right. So she's like, yeah, you know, you got to get in these... And I totally blew it off. I blew it off because I didn't see it as a strength. I didn't see the use of my voice and the power of my words as an ability to transcend a message to people that normally don't get it. I, I just didn't believe it. Why? Because people that I looked up to were successful in other things. Unfortunately, yes. they were successful in things that I was bad at, but it took me a mm -hmm. long time to, to come to terms with that. So what I suck at, and, and I fully admit this, and I think people that have been watching me do shit for 10 years will agree – I am one of the worst self-promoters on the planet. So, <laughs> so, so like if someone was like, hey, Derek, who's the best strength coach in all of fucking Denver, Colorado? I would give you 15 names but my own, even though I'm the guy coaching the world champion. It, I just – I it's fucking right. – it's an uncomfortable thing for me. Anyway, that's a right. weird example, but I'm trying to alliterate it. So when I finally realized uh, why I should do a podcast – I realized that it was a way in which I could combine a couple things. One, my, my intrinsic need to get message out because for some reason that is something I really enjoy doing. I like speaking. Two, I can get other people like yourself on my podcast and I can put all my energy into making sure that Bert Soren has an awesome experience talking to people that are going to listen. And by default, it takes care of the one thing I fucking suck at. And that's self-advertisement. <laughs> yeah, you got a good point. <laughs> right. Man. So I can advertise the podcast and advertise the guests. And by yes. default, people are going to come and hang out with me and I'll get my message out. Hey, well, 100% and, and, and to speak to the same thing, Hey, Summer Strong, not only is it a, you know, a transformation event and all this, all the awesome stuff, I'm getting to show off my friends to my other friends. Yep. 100%. That's what it is. It's the people that I get to go, man, you got to meet Derek Witzke. I don't know. And then, then, then I, my, my go-to is don't worry. He'll be there May 18th through 20th. He'll be at Summer Strong. You'll get to meet him. Yep. Hey man, I was hanging out with Gunner. Da, 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 da. Don't worry, you'll get to meet him. The dude's awesome, and and so it's kind of like my wedding in a way. That right, I was right. able to 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 you know, you know, invite all all my people, and then you know, I had a lot of them say, "Oh my gosh, I've heard stories about you for twenty years. I can't believe I actually get to meet you." Right, Bert's been talking about you for twenty years, and I, I'm not a great self promoter. I'm starting to understand. It still still feels weird for me. Sure, probably same. much like yourself. Yep, same. But I'm really good at promoting the people I 
enjoy being around because it's honest. It's true. It's, it's basically opening up my head through my mouth. It's what I'm thinking about. And if I'm thinking about how extraordinary one or many of my friends are, it just comes out partially to the point of nauseam for pr- people around me. They're like, right. okay, shut up. I know we get it. What you know, a- Derek's doing some really cool stuff. Shut up. I get it. We don't yep. have to talk about that again at dinner. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but then this happened and this, and then right. Brandon did this and then Rudy and Gunner and blah, 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 whatever. It, but it's true but, because on, I'm, exci- I'm a little kid that's excited about my friends. Excited because uh, the one thing that I will say about the people that I truly keep in my inner circle is what people have to understand is I'm a fan of them as people. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, I like, like I'm watching my friends do cool shit and I'm sitting there yes. going, wow, man, I got a front row seat to one of the coolest shows in town. Absolutely. Right. And then you take the next step and you go, hold on a second. I got a front row ticket to this to watch this amazing story unfold. And so and so is going to let me get up there and do open mic for a couple couple lines. Yeah, exactly. Because now I get to have a voice within their life and maybe even change their story in the slightest way to maybe make it better. And they yep. trust me enough to allow me in their life to do that. There's no bigger compliment you could give no. me. There's no bigger compliment. And that's why the people that we bring in to Summer Strong or the Sornex world or whatever, that's why I'm so jacked about it. That's why we talk about the Bosco Brotherhood. I get to build, as an only child, I get to build a family of people around me that I want in my family. Right. Most people, they have a brother or sister. I don't like that guy's an asshole, whatever. No, <laughs> everyone in my family, I get to have a bigger more interesting, eclectic, cooler family that I get to choose. Yep. And by doing so, it not only increases your value, but if those would just open themselves up to what you're saying and come and hang out a bit, it's going to increase their value. Their family yes. experience is going to be a good experience. Right. <sighs> That's well, it, man. As Weird. usual. We, we cracked the code. We cracked the code. <laughs> and, uh, and in, in the meanwhile, burnt up a huge amount of time as we usually do. If people yep. only realize that we've actually been talking for two and a half hours, one of which we recorded. Um, <laughs> we had to cut it short. Had we to had cut, to get back to doing this. Had to get back to doing this. Um, before I, I let you off the horn, is there like by the time this comes out, which is going to be in a couple of weeks, uh, uh-huh. you know, we still will be well ahead of Summer Strong 11, sure. um, which is the Spinal Tap edition is – when turn we, up to 11, turn up to 11. Um, for those that are going to hear this, that are on the fence, just a closing one or two thoughts. Like why should you just maybe put it in your calendar period? Um, I can't promise much, but I can promise that it will be different than any event you've ever been to. And, but I'll throw it back on each, each person's lap. It, it will be a product of whatever they put into it. Right. I ask everyone at the beginning of every summer strong, everyone has a job, everyone in the room. Some people are speakers. Some people need to be listeners. Some people need to pump up the like pump up and keep the energy up yep. to give those presenters that are up there undivided attention and the strength and the fearlessness that they need to be transparent. Yep. Everyone brings something. And if, and if, if someone was there and they just want to pay their ticket and sit in the back of the room and just get fed, well, that kind of add, that goes into what you've said before. There's two types of people in this world. When you ask them a question, some that lean for lean in, 
to get the answer because they're so hungry for it and they're so respectful for the answer coming out. Yep. And then there's ones who lean back and just accept, think they're going to get fed. Yep. Uh, I want a group of people that lean in, and that's generally what we get. And even the people that walk in that are lean backers, by the end of the weekend, they become lean inners. I agree. And I think there's there's major transformation. We have some some we are turning it up to eleven this year. We have some special things going to occur. Um, if you have any bit of interest in the strength world or transformational uh, self. Uh, any of that, I mean, we've had some 60 year old ladies that worked at a bank, uh, specifically that said that Judd Logan's presentation, summer strong eight was, or summer strong nine. I can't remember was the single best presentation they've ever heard in their entire life on any content. 100%. And now this is a four time Olympian hammer thrower, which is the, uh, the redheaded stepchild of all sports talk about what he talked about and you had a 60 year old lady who doesn't lift weights, never seen a hammer in her entire life and said, you could give that presentation to any group on earth and it would have the same effect. That is what summer strong is. It is man. That is the difference. Um, when Alex Oliver spoke last year in the blacked out session. And for those that yeah. don't know what that means, you got to come this year because I'm not going to tell you. So he's, right. Right, he spoke in, in a blacked out session about his experiences. And I, I, can't, I can't do it justice with words, which is saying a lot. Um, but it was one of the most important presentations I've ever heard. And I've literally traveled the world in the presentation world. It, yes. It's uh, there's just something different. And at the same time, uh, uh, there's something for everyone. It, it's not a right. one shoe, one situation. So with that being said, right. man, uh, I'll let you get back to uh, building the world's greatest strength equipment plug, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh-huh. we'll, we'll, we'll try, but I appreciate it. But yeah, yeah May 18, 19, 20, um, you can fly into Columbia, South Carolina. We're actually in Lexington, South Carolina, which is just right outside the capital, dead center of the state. Yep. Um, about a 90 minute drive from Charlotte. Uh, if you fly in that way, um, we are capping it this year because of the popularity. So if you're going to get tickets, get them, get them early. We're releasing about 350 tickets. Perfect. Um, because the idea of it is we want to keep the quality high, the intimacy high. And that, again, is why it's different than every other event. We're not trying to pack numbers, not trying to make money off this. The, the goal is, is maximum impact within the strength community so those influencers could go out and change the world. That is a huge piece of information, and I'm excited to be a part of it again this year, as always. Um, for those that are listening, I look forward to actually getting to speak to you in person when you make it out to Summer Strong. All right, Bert, thanks. Uh, man, I can't thank you enough. Thanks, Derek. Fuck you, Kabbalah. Oh, man, it was, it was uh, Absolute pleasure. Super honored to be here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ecobolic Radio. For more information about upcoming guests and episodes, please follow Derek Witzke on his Instagram or at DerekWitzke.com. 